The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Hello and welcome to Art of War Vanilla Edition. I'm your host this time, Blake Law, and we are very glad you're able to join us. Now, what is the show? You all know what this show is. This is Art of War. This is the hallmark of all 40K shows. So today what we're going to do is we're going to be interviewing our guest, who you may already know who it is because I'm hosting this show. But we're going to be getting to know his play style. We're going to be getting to know his list and kind of where he sits in the 40K and how he got to where he is today. Now, our guest today is going to be someone that you all know and love. He has won so many events. He's won everything under the freaking sun. He's won the Nova Open. He's won Adepticon. He was a child when he won Adepticon, actually. Go look it up. And he has won just a whole slew of things, including the ITC. I, of course, am talking about the Tom Brady of Warhammer 40K, Mr. Nick Nadavati. Hey, Blake. How are you doing? Good to have you back on the show. Dude, I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Before we get started, Nick, I do want to say one thing. For those interested, make sure to check out the part two of this podcast available to Patreons at the Art of War Patreon. Go check it out. Go subscribe. Go look at all the good content and all the previous episodes because there's a whole bunch of them and they're a treasure trove, including mine, Unbroken. Go look it up, too. Nick, what do you got for me today? I got to let them know that you also have started your own network. So where can they go to find your stuff? Oh, yeah. You can go check me out at Blake Law Studios. I have a Patreon up. Go check out Spotify or wherever you get your download your podcast. We actually have a podcast called Fluffy Dog 40K. It's a lore podcast. It's me and Brad Chester. Go and check it out. All the content's free, so just go look at it, listen, and give us a like. Now, Nick, you've been involved in the 40K community for a very, very long time. You were, what, 16 when you got into the competitive scene? So, Give us a little bit of your background, kind of where you started, where this journey has taken you, and kind of what has led you to this list. We're going to be talking about Gene Stiller Colts today, as, as you all kind of have figured out at this point. But give us your background leading up to this year when we're playing 10th edition Gene Stiller Colt. Yeah, so long story short, I'm from New Jersey. I started playing Warhammer when I was 10. I started playing at my local game store, which unfortunately has closed down since back then, but that's a special place in my heart, the only game in town. And basically, I just kind of fell in love with Warhammer as a community through my local game store. And I started competing, and I was terrible at Warhammer. But through sheer perseverance and love for the hobby, I just got better and better over time. Kept going to more and more tournaments. And, you know, I was young. I was like 13, 14, mostly doing this on the goodwill of my parents. So, like, I was going to local RTTs, which were few and far between. Like, back then, it was like one every three months, and that's what you got. So I would go to those, and I would get my, my ass kicked. And... Eventually, I got better, and I would start winning those, and then I'd feel really good, and I started going to GTs and not do super well there, but eventually got better there. And enough of trial and error through it all, I started to compete on the biggest scene at the time, so I went to Adepticon in 2012, and I won that one. I was there. Yeah, Blake was there. Blake, you were there. I was there. I was an adult. Did you win? I almost made the top cut. I lost the last second to um, Black Blowfly, actually, in the last round. I think he made top 16, and I didn't. So it was it was a tough loss for me. Oh, that's a name you haven't heard in a while. I know. I know. That's why I brought it up. Seriously. I, ima- I want to imagine a young, sad Nick losing, like a 14-year-old Nick at the game store, just completely distraught losing at an RTT. I was awful. I mean, not awful, awful, but like... I'm not proud of how I was as a 14-year-old, but I mean, like, how many adults are, like, proud of how they were when they were 14, you know? 
I don't think any that's, that's probably true. Actually, did you? What was your faction back then? What got you into the game? What was like the army that you looked at and said, "This is it"? Oh, I hate that you asked me this question, Blake. Is it Tau? so? The first thing I ever bought was Space Marine Scouts. Oh. Like I would hardly call myself a Marine player back in that day. The starter set was Battle for McGrath, so I quickly got that, and that had Space Marines and Tyranids. And I was like, really, like Tyranids are so cool. They're like Tyranids. But for whatever reason, I was like unable to successfully collect a Tyranid army. And I had a little bit of army ADD even back then, which kind of makes sense for how I got into where I am now. I like picked bought a box of Necrons. I had struggled to build the Necrons, so those were inaccessible to me. I'm still bad at building models. And then somehow I landed on Tau. And I hate Tau. I really hate Tau. But Tau were like my first army that I really properly collected. And I kept the whole army in this like skateboard box that i had from like oh, yeah. some point and i had a towel that was what i used instead of foam and then all the christ suits they have like the little spindly ankles they all broke they all snapped right at the angle so i just put the crisis suit face down on the table no base no nothing and that was my towel army you know what's funny that's probably more care than you give to models these days i love my models you're like it's it's like you used a towel back then now you probably just like put them in a in your hands and carry them to a hall why are you hating Blake? You should. This is this is about me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's right. This is about you. This is about your. This is about your um, journey as a person and how you became less careful with models over time. So in this epic tale, I eventually started winning tournaments, and then I got like internationally recognized as I qualified for Team America after winning Adepticon 2012. And that's when I really fell in love with the super competitive side of the hobby and was like, I'm gonna try to go as far as I can. And through my ventures and journeys, I won the ITC in 2018. Then I made it my job. I, I went pro Warhammer in 2018 as well, right after I won ITC. And then in 2020, we started Art of War. And it's been awesome. Life's been great. Tell me, back then, when you first started the hobby, who would you say your biggest mentors and like people kind of got you like further in the game? Because as you went to Adepticon, you weren't probably where you are even now. Who were the people who kind of helped get you there? That's a great question. So, like my local heroes, honestly, like there's this guy Frankie Sutherland, this other guy Mike Saletto. I'm still like in touch with them from here and there, and they're uh, they're all moved on now. But these are like people who like Frankie managed my game store that I worked at, or not that I worked at, that I played at. Mike worked there, and they were just older. I was like a kid, and they played Warhammer, and they were like Frankie wasn't even very good. He was like very into the hobby side. Um, but he was really passionate about it, and you could tell, and he like kind of mentored me on that stuff. And then Mike was just like a friend, you know, and that like helped me make connections like that. And then Mike had a mind for the competitive side. We were all kind of terrible back then, but he was better at it. And he helped me like try to get better and taught me the the mindsets to get better and stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know you had you had you kind of built a community up there with Beast Coast and you kind of uh, started collecting people, I feel like, kind of along the eastern seaboard there. Yeah, definitely. As as like I grew the scene as I grew up as a kid, like you know, between fourteen and eighteen, I would say the scene really took off, and there we started like forming little clubs. The Warhammer scene grew over time; it still is growing. Um, so back then, we went from having RTTs every three months to like RTTs every single month as a huge step forward, and like we had a club and supported, and it like supported itself. And like a lot of them got better. We pushed each other to get better. One of them is actually Jack Harpster, one of our hard war coaches. He played at Saga, the, the game store I mentioned earlier. He, I played him in his first ever RTT game. He had like Chaos Space Marines, and I had Tyranids, and I 
surrounded his rhino so none of his guys could get out. And he was like, oh, my God. And now look at Jack. He's a monster. He's winning ITC. Yeah, Jack's a monster now. That's for sure. He's really taking steps since joining Art of War, actually. Um, so you had all these people up there. I mean, you had Jack. You helped develop Jack, I'm sure. And Jack kind of helped sharpen you on that end. Where did Steel you kind of go? Yeah. When did you... So you kind of had this play style. Was it always the same, or did you start to develop the play style you have? And kind of give us a rundown of what your play style actually is. Yeah, I definitely had to find it. I've tried all kinds of things in 40K not knowing. Um, I would define myself as a very defensive, reactive player. I like to outplay people in the movement phase of the game. And I'm not necessarily talking about those little combat pile and tricks. Those, you know, those are fine. But I'm talking about thinking of 40K as if it's like a chess game. And then where you put your models in this turn and then how that impacts the next turn and what is possible um, throughout the game. I try to beat you at that level. And that's where I really find enjoyment. So armies that allow me to play, like Demons and Eldar, Gene Steeler Cult, they have a lot of movement and they have a lot of ability to position themselves and uh you know react effectively to how the enemy is engaging with the battlefield i really like those factions Drakari similarly um you know all through ninth edition and eighth edition i play these factions and you know i play pretty much everything by nature of my job but these are the factions i definitely have an affinity for and how i developed it is basically just you know trying everything until i kind of jogged with something and keep on doing it there was an example, because I think that when someone says, when someone doesn't know the game very well, and you say something like, I like to control the movement phase, I feel like that's kind of hard for people to conceptualize. Um, one of the things that I wanted to bring up was when I actually played Nick at an event, he was playing Gene Steeler Colt, and I was playing my Knights bogus Imperial Army at the time. And what Nick did turn one is he actually took all of his Gene Steeler Colt bikes pushed him forward and made this bizarre formation that basically encompassed the entire half of the board and kept it to where I couldn't do anything for an entire turn. And I think that's kind of one of the many multitude of tricks you could, he's talking about when he talks about actually going out, controlling the movement phase and kind of this controlling the tempo of the game defensively. Yeah, that's a great example. And just to kind of remove some of the mystique around it, all I really did in that scenario was I had like these th four men, these three different units of jackals. And they're four bikes each, so like 48 points back in the day. These are just my trash. This is just the units I'm okay losing. And they're meant to be lost to do stuff like this. So they scout. And I basically drove them all forward, scouted whatever nine inches or something forward, and then moved 12 inches straight forward. And they're right in front of Blake's Knights. And obviously these rinketing bikes aren't going to do anything to Blake's Knights. But they're standing right in front of Blake's Knights' army. And they're doing so in ways that are going to prevent Blake from taking his knights and moving up the table and getting better on his side angles. So now I know where Blake's knights can go because I've controlled where they could go. And now I know where his knights, how far up the table they're going to be. I can like check their line of sight. I could bend over you know, and check the table. And then I can move my models that I actually care about, not the bikes, to all the spots where they can't be shot. And that worked great. I think what's interesting about the way you play the game is when you stop and think about 40K, there's five there's five turns, right? So if you're able to take the movement phase and every single time you're able to dictate where I go, that's 20% of the game that you're able to predict and you're able to set your own plan towards, you know? So every time you do that, you just increase your odds of knowing how the game's going to go, which I think is pretty cool. 
And you know what else is cool, Blake? A lot of it is tied. It's already telegraphed to you. I don't have to predict that much. You know, it's not like I'm Houdini out here. It's really you. You can really look at the tactical objective cards in 10th edition, and you can read the primary mission and know what your opponent has to do. You know, they have to hold a certain amount of objectives to score primary healthily. They, you know, the deck has a lot of different cards in it, but aside from bring it down and assassinate, they pretty much all have to deal with going to the middle of the board or going to the opponent's side of the board and doing an action or standing somewhere. So you need to be, he's going to be coming forward up the table. And if I can make that harder or if I can disrupt that or even predict where it's going to go based on like behind enemy lines or the objective right here, then I can really know where they're going to be and move around accordingly. So you feel like 10th edition kind of gave gave that more of a... I think it made it harder, um, actually. In 9th edition, you would pick three secondaries and the primary would just be set. So you had a very clear game plan that your opponent and yourself were trying to execute, which I prefer 10th edition. It makes it a lot more play on the fly and more kind of like 40k should be where it's not so easily predictable. But in 9th edition, it was easily predictable and that made it very easy to plan these things. Speaking of 10th edition, do you feel like you had to make any adjustments as a player going into the new edition? Was there anything that changed as you kind of went from 9th to 10th? You always do. The editions are always like a little bit of a learning curve. The first couple of games are really awkward, but after that, you, you kind of get your legs out from under you. Um, now I feel fairly comfortable with it. Not like a master, but fairly comfortable. Um, I would say... Some interesting nuances from 9th to 10th that I had learned stylistically is just the tempo and the reserves, like things like rapid ingress. Everybody now goes back in reserve, shows up three inches away. That's a lot more common amongst factions. Um, this doing stuff in your opponent's turn, like Overwatch, this is all some stuff you just have to get used to. And with that, it's a lot harder to just know stuff is going to happen and know things are going to work a certain way. So you have to like account for a level of chaos in your plans. Right, right. That's... That's interesting because I feel like that's kind of the way some of the previous editions were. And we kind of went more towards that. You know what's going to happen. You can make a form a game plan before the game and kind of stick to it in like uh, late 8th, early ninth kind of stuff. So I, I kind of like that. I agree. It makes the game a little bit different than what it was. Yeah, I agree. It's more fun this way, at least for me. Are there any things uh, going into 10th edition that you really just um, feel like are things you, you as a player have to do every time you go in as far as like choosing what secondaries you're playing and things like that? So it's a good question as well. I don't really like to go in with a set game plan necessarily. I have things that I, I've kind of developed over time with lists that this is just like what I do. It typically works for me. Those are like my moves out of my playbook. But generally speaking, everything's kind of evaluated at the table. So a great example is like if I'm playing an army that is typically capable of achieving secondaries, I've built a lot of fast units in. And I've, you know, capabilities of deep striking and just scoring points like that. So if I'm playing against a lot of armies, I'm built to do tactical. Since they don't necessarily give things up, like bring it down or assassinate or whatever. But then I might go up against and play custodies. And they don't really have backfield screens. All their stuff needs to push in the middle of the table. So their backfield is really open for behind enemy lines and deploy teleport homers. Wombo combo for nine points a turn for the entire game. So if I can pull that off against them... I'm going to remember that and keep that in my back pocket. So I'm basically just going to try to try to look at your game plan and my game plan and compare the two and try to figure out what I can make work around yours that you can't really stop. Right. So kind of similar to previous editions where there are certain factions where you go, aha, 
I'm taking bring it down versus Knights or I'm taking, you know, behind enemy lines versus small elite unit kind of army. Yeah, that makes sense. So you kind of cater towards what you play and you just got to get the reps to know that's what um, that's what you want to take on it. Reps definitely make up a lot of it. I would also suggest that like in 10th more so than any other edition, there's like, like I said, that element of chaos. So you have to just kind of be ready for anything and play as though you are ready for anything. So I like to just throw units up into reserve um, without knowing it. And because the missions are so wild and the game is so new, um, there's a lot of outside the box ways you can solve problems. So just because there is start- conventional and air quotes wisdom starting to form on the internet does not make it the only way or the right way at all. Oh, for sure. Especially with Index Hammer. I feel like there's this whole bunch of random things you can do right now that um, you maybe couldn't do as the book came out and things like that. So the possibilities are pretty open for almost any faction. And I think you're seeing a lot of that with some of the kind of random armies that are winning at some of these smaller GTs and things like that. Yeah, there's a lot of options out there for different armies to do well right now. I think there's there's clear winners like Eldar are dominating, Custodians are doing well, GSC are doing well, but um, you know there's a lot of things like Chaos Space Marines just did really well this week, and I don't think anyone's been talking about them. Oh, they're sweet, man. They got some good combos, definitely. Some pretty interesting things you can do with them. I'm and they curious. can take Fate Weaver. Oh, they can take Fate Weaver. That's all right. I'm curious to see um, this coming up weekend. We have uh, the ATC coming, and it's probably one of the larger events coming into 10th as far as it's like, you know, people who are there that are uh, big names on the game. And I'm curious to see how it shakes out given that format, given that you're not going to see just all the meta armies played because you have to have five different armies on each uh, team. So I think that's going to be an interesting time, actually. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, actually, because uh, actually by the time this episode releases, the ITC have already happened. So lots of more data on that. But looking at it right now from where we are recording, my team and I, Art of War, we were just looking at the different teams that we were uh, concerned about or like, you know, worried or needed to prepare for. And they all have Eldar, Custodes, some sort of Space Marine, and GSC. Every single one, for the most part. There's a couple exceptions. I know, like Mark Perry's team is some is a big threat, and they do not follow this mold. But for the large part, they follow that, and I think it's really interesting that so many teams have either kind of come together on this team composition, or they're just identifying these the best armies. What's funny is you didn't pick my team, Nick, which um, I find very disheartening. You know, Blake, I used to be on your team, Team Beast Coast. Okay, so until you can pick up the slack, I don't want to. I don't need to. I don't need to do it for you. Uh, to say we don't GSC, so um, I feel disrespected. So when we play, I'm playing you, and um, I'm gonna not know that we're playing. We, there will be a duel. We're not just playing a Warhammer match. We're gonna do a contest of three different sports. We are, and. Uh, yeah, what? Yeah, we'll get into that later. We're going to talk about what the other two sports are and what the bet is, but that's that's an off-air thing. So we'll uh, we'll touch on that shortly. It's also in part two. That's that's something with the spicy secrets of part two. What our bet is and what the what the triathlon is going to actually be. So we all know I'm going to win the 40k game. So it'll have to be something really strong for Nick on the other two. So yodeling, yodel. Ooh, you are a great yodeler. Um, so tell me a little bit about. Where you've been so far on this event, I know y'all been doing just an absolute 
ton of content. Y'all have been prepping for the WTC because basically your entire Art of War team is on the Team USA. You've been prepping for ATC. You've been just releasing Buku's pre-recorded content for 10th edition. You've been doing on-the-spot weekly strategy updates, all this stuff in the War Room. Tell me a little bit about where you are right now in the edition, what you're excited about, and kind of where you see it all going. Yeah, great question. So actually... I'm not on Team America, neither is Richard Ziegler. So John, Jack, and Anthony are. Um, Quentin's going as a coach role, um, but those are go- they're going as independent operatives for Team America. So just want to clarify that. But additionally, um, I'm kind of starving for games out here, right? This edition change is super exciting for me. I, I had my streamathon of content, and I'm good. You know, now we have a pretty reasonable pace of streams going out, so that's a lot better. And I'm eager. I'm an eager beaver to play. I played one. GT a month ago with Gene Steeler called got for first place. I have ATC coming up this weekend. Hopefully that went well by the time this airs. We'll find out. And from uh, me. From from Blake, yes. Um no, you're gonna find out from you. And then additionally, I basically have no other events on the horizon. I'm going to Nova. I but I'm probably gonna be commentating from game for games workshop. That remains to be seen. And then I went to Tacoma. That was a blast, really fun event. But again, I commentated for Games Workshop, so I need more events to play. I have some events later lined up in the season, but I mean, I'm, I'm hungry now. You know, I'm a little bit upset with you because this is the new format for Art of War, right? But I feel like you just put a big spoiler out there. I was trying to build up to the fact that you won that event, which I was very proud of because Nick has not been playing much 40K competitively. He's been doing a lot of commentating, and he went to probably one of the um, you know, since 10th is launched and you, you want it. And that's pretty awesome. So we're going to be talking about that. That's, that's also part of part two. We're going to be talking about some Gene Stiller cold. That is what we're talking about, Blake. I feel like that was spoiled in the show itself because like you got to kind of do well to be invited on the show as a guest. And you know what? I couldn't interview myself. So that's why you're here. You know, it all comes together. Yeah. But what was the GT? What GT was it? It was, oh man, you put me on the spot. I don't even remember. I forget the name. I know, but it's it's one of those things. It was a large GT. I was going to the Capital City Clash here in Tallahassee, 15 minutes from my house. How many people were there? It was 40. That's, I mean, that's a sizable event for the start of the edition. Outside of maybe, um, I mean, Lone Star happened this last weekend. And before that, you know, you did have Tacoma. But outside of those two, I mean, you're not seeing these huge events. This early. This, this event was a couple weeks ago. So actually, it was one of the largest events at the time. This was pre Tacoma and this was actually pre Balance FAQ. So, you know, I took Gene Steeler Cult to a army meta full of Wraith Knights and Infinite Fate Dice and things of that nature. That's interesting. So you actually beat some of those lists that were just completely unstoppable at the time. It actually makes it more impressive. So that's a good that's a good point of clarification because those Wraith Knight lists were pretty gnarly before some of these rules adjustments. And you had Knights pre-point nerf, too, which is not as big of a deal, but still a big deal. I played against two of those Knight players. And I'll be honest, I didn't play against the unnerfed Eldar. I took Jeans to their cult planning to play against the unnerfed Eldar because I figured they could. But um, I didn't get the opportunity because my boy Hogan, who's a war member, uh, knocked out two Eldar players on the way up, including all the un- unnerfed Wraith Knights. Uh, only to be bested by me in a forearm number duel. Was he was he playing Gene Steeler Colt as well? Yeah, he was. We had a Gene Steeler Colt off. Hogan's a cool dude. Hogan, I give him a shout out on here. Y'all should go watch Hogan play on some stream games. He's a great player. But he's down there in Pensacola, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's a Pensacola boy. 
Well, um, Nick, what is your what are your thoughts on kind of the composition that y'all took in? I know we kind of touched on it briefly earlier. You had talked about, you know, there's really five armies that have real that are really hot right now. The composition seems to be pretty loaded on those on four or five armies up top, the Custos, the Imperial Knights, the Eldar, the um what was it? Necrons, you know, you, you have a lot of things up top. How do you feel like that's going to shake out? Do you feel like there are some dark horses in there that could defeat, like, say, say someone taking a really strong Eldar list? Do you feel like the GSD is a super strong counter to that? Do you feel like the Custodes could possibly be a sneaky one to beat beat XYZ? What are your thoughts on why people are taking these compositions? Well, I think it's uh, like Eldar is like fairly obviously strong, right? And Custodes. Oh, yeah has just been putting up some great results. They took down first and second at Tacoma. And like when you actually put the army on the table, you you understand how durable it actually is and how good it is at stealing objectives and just holding them forever and then shooting you and getting out the table. And then the assassins add so much to it, the assassins and exaction squads. That army also is a great package. Gene Steeler cults, I mean, that's really what we're here to talk about. That's what I'm hearing on Impact. That's part two, so stay tuned, everybody. And then... Uh, the other factions like Knights, I, you know, there's a lot of variants on Knights. Not every team took Knights to ATC. Um, there's a lot of things like Thousand Suns are great, but you don't have every team running Thousand Suns. And there's definitely room for Dark Horses, like Jack is running Grey Knights at ATC. Hopefully, this isn't Jack Snowflaking too hard and us having big regret. But um, on paper, his Grey Knight plans, they seem to be working. Maybe we'll get Jack's him on. Jack's Grey Knighting. Jack's Grey Knighting. Dude, that's that's actually crazy. I'm excited because uh, Grey Knights have been doing really bad. They've yeah, been doing terrible like, in the meta. I'm excited yeah. for that. You should be excited for that. Your team's got nothing on these Grey Knights. Dude, Jack always wild cards. He always wild cards. And I, that's one thing I respect about him. He will show up with the wackiest army that you're like, is that going to be okay? Like when Blood Angels weren't considered very good, Jack showed up with them, you know? I don't it's true. It's true. Jack's got he's a really good list builder and obviously a very strong player. And you know what? Jack's the man. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, the one thing, I don't know if this is too much of a part two question or not, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in here. Uh, do you think this is kind of going back to my original question, and I've looked at it on paper. Do you think the GS deal, GSC are the Eldar killer? Uh, at a, I don't think they're the Eldar game. killer that like everyone makes them out to be. I think they can win that game where so many factions cannot even win that game. I would even go so far as to say L- GSC probably favored into Eldar, you know, it's a, but it's like a 55-45, maybe 60-40, but that's getting into like GSC are hard to play against. If you're putting like a great GSC player versus a great Eldar player, one, that's a game I want to watch. But two, I expect it to be bloody and brutal for everybody. It's not clear cut one faction just beats the other there my other question would be you have your team has unlimited army army choices you can put out whatever someone drops eldar first drop what are you putting out we got a whole plan for this blake and i'm only going to reveal these top secrets because this whole podcast releases after the right, show exactly right exactly we're going to put out gray knights and gene stealer cult the double attack that's one of the reasons we brought gray knights so you're, you're getting your secrets here that's pretty neat. That's interesting. I, I'm interested to see that list, and I want to see exactly what it does because that's a really cool thought. And of course, y'all would do that. You know, of course, y'all would come up with a composition on an army that's considered weak that is going to be a good match into a power. And people are going to choose that. You know, really, people are going to choose the Great Knights. I really hope this is the case, Blake. Otherwise, I'm just going to be so sad. It's a great gamble. It's a great look. I think it's really cool that y'all did that. And. I'm honestly proud. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that fifth choice y'all took. 
I'm glad. I'm glad you think so. Everyone can win with the top factions, you know, or not everyone, you know, but most people would consider you know, all the top teams are like, all right, this is our competition. This is what everyone's running. Y'all take great nights. I, I respect it. I like it. I wanted to run demons, but then the boys were like, no, you got to play GSC. Are demons good? You love demons. I love demons. What does it matter? Yeah, but I mean, are they? They're they're solid right now. I mean, I'd I would say demons the, are good. Demons are a strong army. They're a little bit of a stat check because they kind of rely on their monsters to do everything, but they're pretty good at it. Since this is a little bit of the get the dough, Nick Donavati. I mean, most people have listened to several episodes where we've kind of getting the know you. I think I've recorded one with you before. But you love, it's no secret that you love demons. And so, in fact, I think you had a name for yourself in, what was it, 6th or 7th edition when you ran all of the monster demons and just flew around and created craziness. It's my flying monster list. Flying monster list, man. You got the the Fate Weaver, your boy Fate Weaver. You got all the big, big bad demons in there. That's how, that's how I know you. That's, that's my thought. When I think of what is Nick playing, it's big bad demons flying around. Or GSC. You're also a GSC player, but. Not an Eldar player, though? I do think of it as Eldar, too, but not so much. You haven't been playing Eldar much. That's true. I've kind of let Quentin take them for 10th edition. They're too easy mode. Yeah, they're easy mode. You, you've, been playing, you've been playing the big... I think, I think it's you as the demon GSC. And speaking of GSC, I want, why don't you go ahead and run us through this list before we end this episode? Let's get, a, let's get a feel for the list as we go into part. All right, let's go through it top to bottom. So this Gene Circle list is a slight variation to what I took to the tournament about a month ago. I made more or less one change, but you'll get the idea. So we've got a lot of characters. Um, so we've got a Biophagus. He has the enhancement for inscrutable cunning. That's going to allow him and his unit to infiltrate. And uh, whenever I spend CP on that unit on a 4 plus, I regen it. Then I've got a Calamibus. He's a little idiot dude. It's 40 points. He's a 12-inch aura of no deep strike. Two Nexos, those are other 50-point idiot dudes that basically allow me to use my strats multiple times and for free. That's pretty good. Now, how does that stack up, Nick? Tell us exactly how that works in 10th edition, because I know there was some controversy on um, like the free, stat, free strats and how they're used. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of them are very different from each other, so the one this one works is basically your Nexos is going to join a squad, and you can use strats on that squad. Um for a second time with your Nexus, so I could use my Scrat like normally and then use it with the Nexus a second time. And that second time that I use it with the Nexus, it's free. So, you know, just. Oh, awesome. that's super nice. Yeah. Yeah. Got one, two, three Primuses. They're just money. They're 70 point idiot characters. They join to a squad. The squad gets reroll hits. And they, uh, they let me redeploy three units. So it doesn't stack with itself. So I don't get to redeploy nine. I would not need to redeploy nine, but I could. <laughs> Um, but three, I get three to play three. Uh, and then finally, I have two Reductus Saboteurs. One has the Enhancement Meticulous Planner, which is basically like the Vex strat. So I make one of your strats cost one more for the rest of the game. Um, these dudes are just two fifty-five point loan ops. Um, they have a lot of bombs, so they have a demolition charge. They have uh, a once per game ability that if you get within 12 inches of them, um, then you can roll two plus and then you take D3 plus three mortals. And of course, they're lone operative, so you have to get within 12 to just ever damage them. And aside from that, they just like do actions and old stuff. And then, of course, all Gene Steeler cults have Deep Strike built in. Then I've got two um, Acolyte hybrid squads. This is really where we get into the meat of the list. Two 10-mans, a bunch of hand flamers, four demo charges. These are the demo bombs. These guys do work. We'll get into it part two. This is the good stuff. 
Then I have four neophyte units, same idea. They're 20 guys each, so I have 80 neophytes total. Um, 19 dudes and one uh, gold icon guy with a banner. I got four guys with seismic cannons, four guys with flamers, and a bunch of dudes with just las guns. Um, so that's 80 dudes right there. And then to round it out, I have a unit of 10 aberrants. They're monsters. They're just little infantry dudes that hit super hard with their strength, eight AP2, and two damage attacks. And then they uh, have four plus female pain. And when they're joined to a character, which of course they are, they're minus one to wound. So they're super tough to kill. Then I have two Ridge Runners to round it out. They have like these little indirect fire guns. The cool thing about them is after they hit you with a unit with their guns, um, you, then my entire army is going to be an additional point of AP and additional damage or additional Norse cover against them. That's the whole lesson. Dude, that's pretty dirty, actually. And, um, you know, I'm pretty terrified as a night player, especially. I'm pretty terrified to go into that. So I feel like it's going to do some real damage in a, in a not only in a team format, but it's shown that it can actually sustain and do well at a big event as well. Yeah, Gene Circle is awesome. I'm super excited to talk about it more. Oh, for sure. I do want to uh, mention here that in one month in August on my podcast, um, Fluffy DOG uh, 40K, we are going to be talking about Gene Stiller Cult War. So as I was sitting there listening to you say this, I kind of heard some of the names of some of these units, and I was like, aha, yeah, that's why they're there. That's why they're the Acolytes. And Gene Stiller Cults have a really strange lore that I didn't know until I recorded that episode. So go and check it out because I think it's pretty neat. Awesome. Yeah, that's super exciting. Nick, it was very nice having you on my show, Art of War Vanilla. I'm very glad you're able to join us today. Like, I didn't tell you this, but did you know this is the 200th episode of the show? No way. Are you kidding me? Not kidding you. Oh, my gosh. I'm so happy right now. I'm so happy I made 200. Oh, I'm so happy. I mean, that makes my day actually. I'm happy to do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked, man. I'm very stoked for it. But um, let me go ahead and give one little shout out here to my boy, Adam Camilleri. Make sure to check out his show, Art of War Down Under. It's very, very, very Australian. And, uh, and you know, always check in. We got part two of this show. Make sure to go over to the Patreon, subscribe, check out all the great content there. And um, thanks for having me on, Nick. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Blake, anytime. Thank you for interviewing me. Absolutely. All right, guys, you can check out part two of the show on AOW40K.com. Your usual show will be back. I'll be your host. You can say bye to Mr. Law, but for right now, he is going to continue this show on in part two for our patrons, our subscribers. And he's going to be asking me all that goodness about the Gene Steeler Colts. So if you want to learn how the four armed friends operate, how to beat them, how to play them, and what you need to know about them, come join us in part two. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.